All right, folks, another week. This is the Live Life Aggressively podcast. Sincere Hogan, that's the guy with the dreadlocks. And that's Mike Mahler, the guy with the bi-colored goatee. <laughs> and that's the guy who, <laughs> Mike Mahler, the guy who used to have dreadlocks. Exactly. <laughs> I should get an old picture of you I when I had dreadlocks, and then we should make a new Live Life Aggressively podcast banner with that photo. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, and then the one with me with no hair at all, straight bald, and nothing but just a goatee. So I'm looking, I'm looking like Isaac Hayes on this thing, man. So yeah, yeah we think, should do that and see who notices first. Exactly. Like, wait a minute, Sincere. I think Sincere has been a LIGO, man. Something happened to him. <laughs> Look like Michael Jackson now. He's lighting up. <laughs> Before we get to our guest, folks, real quick, we use coupon code LLA to get 10% off any of my products at my website, MikeMahler.com. That includes my nutrition supplements, my testosterone booster, my Restorezyme to manage inflammation, my recovery oil, help you get great sleep at night. And my videos, T-shirts, the whole shebang. Still have a few spots left for the course in September in Vegas, so check out all the information on there. And how about with your stuff, man? Same thing. Put the same coupon code in over at NewWarriorTraining.com. Type in the coupon code LLA. Get 10% off of my body weight training DVD, digital or physical copy, as well as my weight management one-on-one course. And also the pour-over coffee drip stands, man. They're in. They're up live. The page is there. You guys have been asking for it because I know we've been talking about it for a while. The page is now there on the website, so you can purchase that. And I already pretty much have gone through half of those already, so getting a new production started here. So Let's be honest. You only have two in stock, right? Yeah, well, <laughs> probably about five, actually, no, to be kidding. honest. That's the big ones of the big ones. Yeah, man. So. It's like 50% of inventory sold. So, yeah, exactly. About four. Yeah, you can also get 10% off our guest's new sex doll that's coming out soon, and we'll get more about <laughs> – we'll talk about that with him. When we, is, when we, is that the so. one that Prince posted on our fan page that came up missing at the college town? High demand worldwide. I think it's particularly in high demand in Thailand for some reason. <laughs> we'll bet. talk to him about that. <laughs> no, but we have a great guest on today. He's actually one of our top five downloaded guests. Actually, top three. So he's one of yeah. he's one of our most popular guests, and that's the one and only Steve Maxwell, who's out in London right now. Steve, how you doing? Hey, great, Mike. Sincere. Hey. Good to see you or see you talk to you again. You don't have the camera on. <laughs> yeah, Steve. Yeah, it's great, great to be back with you guys. Oh, man, it's Thanks, great to man. have you back. Now, Steve is one of the best strength coaches around. He's an expert in kettlebell training, strength training, program design, Brazilian strength training for Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Yeah. He's competed at a high level in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. He's worked with MMA fighters, football players, all kinds of people. So he's he's a real wealth of knowledge, and he's, he's also well-known to being a really authentic guy. So whether he's teaching a course or he's on an interview, you're going to get the same guy. He doesn't go into character. And that, that's one thing that is very rare, actually, in our industry where someone's not going into a character every time the camera is on, isn't it? I mean, a lot of a lot of people in our industry are basically amateur actors. You know, where <laughs> they, they they try to create this persona that's not them, and at some point you're going to see through that because you can't be something you're not all the time. It's just you're just going to fall through with that. And there's an old saying: it's better to it's better to be hated for what you are than loved for what you're not. Right. And that, that's something that people should really think about. But anyway, enough yeah. ph- not philosophy. Let's talk about training. So uh, Steve, is, Steve has actually got very strong views on quite a, bit, quite a bit of different paradigms of training, Olympic lifting, certain kettlebell exercises. So Steve, let's start off with the overhead squat because a lot of people love the overhead squat. They think it's the greatest exercise. You have some reservations about it though. So let's get into that. Well, for one thing, the history of the overhead squat, it, it was an assistance lift for the Olympic barbell snatch. Right. It was designed to help people come out of the hole after they basically 
throw themselves underneath a barbell. I mean, that's what the snatch is. I'm not denigrating the lift. I mean, it, it takes tremendous athleticism and coordination to do an Olympic barbell snatch and to do it well, uh, split-second timing. But no one ever said it was good for you. No one ever said it was safe. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, it's, it, it's one of those lifts that just because you can doesn't mean you should. Right. And you have to really look closely at the risk-to-benefit ratio. Sure. So the, the overhead barbell squat is nothing more than just an assistance lift for that particular exercise. I can't think of any sport or any activity where you actually do a full squat while holding something up over your head. Right. It's a very specific uh, strength training exercise. Now, Very Steve, could we, could we say that, though, for front squats as well and barbell squats? I mean, you're not right. doing those exact moves in any athletic endeavor, but it's still beneficial for making your legs stronger, building full body strength, et cetera? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I'm certainly not against uh, uh, front squats. Uh, uh, I, I actually like the old school bodybuilding type where you just hold it on the front of the clavicles. Sure. without uh, holding it with the hands. Right. Uh, it's just a very efficient way to load your hips and your thighs. The idea is to you know, try to get the, the hips and thighs loaded in a very safe manner. And not everyone can do ba- uh, back squats. Not everyone's built for it. I mean, right. you take your average basketball player, for example. It would mm-hmm. be a nightmare trying to get those guys to do barbell back squats safely. So, you know, zercher squats, uh, kettlebell or barbell front squats, uh, that can be a good alternative to guys that cannot do barbell back would you, squats. Would you limit the range of motion, Steve, with someone who's really tall? Yeah, for sure. I don't yeah. see any reason why uh, a basketball player should have to do a full barbell squat. <laughs> right. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Yeah. Right. As a matter of fact, uh, when I did work with basketball players, I didn't really try to push the uh, flexibility, mobility thing too much. You know, It's almost better that those guys are a little bit tight. Mm. It's you know it, it, their joints are actually safer. It is they they don't have to go through extreme range when they're on the court. So I mean this is just one example. Sometimes people get really carried away with that stuff. Sure. Right. That that brings up an interesting side point though is can someone be too flexible where it's actually counterproductive for not only their athleticism but just in terms of building size and strength? Absolutely. Uh, there's a point of diminishing returns in all things. I mean, there's a point of diminishing returns where you could actually, you know, not get any real added benefit to your sports performance by uh, by adding more strength. But it's certainly doubly true for flexibility. I've seen many people that have amazing flexibility, but not the accompanying degree of strength in sure. the extreme range. I had one jujitsu guy. I mean, I won't mention his name. He might be actually listening. This guy was a. <laughs> The guy was a phenom, though. I mean, he was just an incredibly good, talented jiu-jitsu guy. But he was one of these guys who could do front, uh, front splits, roll into side splits, uh, you know, put his feet behind his head and walk around in his hands. But, you know, the, this guy was so flexible, um, he was chronically getting hurt. He didn't have the – in the extreme ranges, he didn't have the strength to support that flexibility. Mm. So people would put him in these awkward positions when grappling with him, and he would, he, he would get muscle injuries all the time. But that's, I saw that uh, with, with a lot of people that were super flexible. I had one ballerina, um, ex-dancer, 
who could do a needle pose. I don't know whether your listeners know what a needle pose is, but that's sort of like where you do a standing split yeah. where you bend forward and you bring your legs in alignment with each other. Okay. Yeah. That's just like ridiculous flexibility. She went water skating one time and she didn't have the strength to hold the legs in position. And we're talking about a pro dancer now. And she actually went into a split as the speedboat took off and evolved both hips out of oh, the sock. Ah, yeah, horrible. Ah. She was in the hospital for many months uh, trying to heal her, her hips. She, okay. she had the ability to split, but she didn't have the structure to be able to prevent her legs from just flying out to the side. Right. So, I mean, yeah, for sure, you can be too flexible. Yeah, I've uh, seen that with people with overhead presses, right, where they're so flexible that – it's almost the the range of motion is is so much more pronounced now. Yeah, but to the point where it's actually <laughs> counterproductive because I mean their their range of motion is totally unnecessary. It doesn't need to go that far. They don't need to take it that far behind their head. I mean the bell, like for example, a kettlebell press is so far behind their head now because they're so flexible that they don't have much stability in that position. And that's put a lot of stress on their structure. And yeah, right. you can get away with it when you're you're 20 or 30. But by the time you hit your 40s, you start to really suffer from that type of imbalance, you know, between your strength and your 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 flex flexibility. But um, that's the other pet peeve I have with a lot of the yoga groups. You know, you see mm. some people that get some pretty amazing flexibility, but they're basic, basically flexible weaklings. Mm-hmm. And the you know it, it's it's almost. You know, they'd almost be better off being a little bit tighter. Right. It's been my experience that you're much better off having good mobility and being a little bit tight than being extremely flexible with poor mobility. A lot of people get really confused about the two. Yeah. They, they, you know, they, they don't understand that mobility confers strength, that you have strength through all uh, parts of the range of motion. Whereas with flexibility, it's pretty passive. It's just yeah. mostly gravity doing the work. And, and, uh, yeah. So can you be my, real? Uh, can you be can you have really good? Have you ever seen someone who has, who's really flexible, but their mobility is not very good? Oh, yeah. All the time. Even mm-hmm. in my uh, workshops, I actually have a little test, you know, I'll um, I'll use it as an example. We'll have someone uh, hold on to uh, something for support and then I'll lift their foot manually up. Sometimes I can get it up over my head and that demonstrates their flexibility. It's passive. Right. You know, mm-hmm. I'm doing the work. Uh, the, the tissues are able to deform, and uh, there's no work at all on their part. That's their flexibility. Then I have them try to raise their leg up, and usually it's uh, sometimes it's several feet different than their flexibility. That's their mobility, mm. their ability to voluntarily raise their leg up. Uh, okay. Like a, a standing front leg raise, and it's usually a huge difference. And it's been my experience that the bigger the difference between your flexibility and your mobility – the greater your percent chance of being hurt when you're playing sports or doing, uh, you know, pretty vigorous uh, physical activity. Right. And occasionally I'll actually see people that are virtually the same. They might not be really, really very flexible, but their flexibility and mobility is virtually identical. That's a really good position to be in. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Now, what about the kettlebell snatch, right? Because you put up a, a blog recently where you said you're not a big fan of the kettlebell snatch. Let, let's get into the reasons why you're not a big fan and then what you think a, a viable alternative is. Well, you know, you've heard of swimmer's shoulder, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, swimmers mm-hmm. that uh, get, really irritate the front shoulder capsule. And that's just pushing water, right? <laughs> and, you know, we've all heard of tennis elbow, you know. And now there's a little bit more force when swing the tennis racket, but still, it's nothing like, 
It's not heavy or anything, right? So now imagine this repetitive lift with a heavy weight. If water or a tennis racket is going to cause a lot of joint problems, imagine what's going on with your joints when you're you're basically throwing a weight overhead continuously. And I myself developed a bone spur in the shoulder, a osteolite in my shoulder from from uh, the kettlebell snatch. And believe me, I was using perfect form and really good technique. I had been critiqued by some of the world's best. And, uh, I, you know, I, I just found that it, the, this type of repetitive trauma to the joint capsule just can't be good. It certainly wasn't good for me. And uh, as, as a result, I realized that I had been barking up the wrong tree. The kettlebell snatch was supposed to be, you know, the sine qua non of, of kettlebell exercises, you know, the ultimate, the penultimate lift. Mm-hmm. I don't agree at all. I personally think that a lot of people out there are, are doing great harm and are destroying themselves with, uh, with this type of force and trauma on the body. Now, there are plenty of people that can probably do it safely. You know, That doesn't mean they're not doing micro damage that down the line, whether in the 50s or 60s or whatever, they're not going to suffer. But there, you know, there are some people that seemingly dance through life and can kind of, um, you know, disobey the laws of physics and get away with it. But I certainly wasn't one of those people. And I, you know, I travel full time all over the world, and I've met many, 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 many ex kettlebellers that the uh, their 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 joints were really harmed with that kettlebell snatch. So I, I've definitely changed my tune in that one, uh, for sure. Uh, the swing is a very valuable tool. And uh, I think if you started doing half snatches and would lower the bell to the shoulder, it would certainly uh, be a little less traumatic on the joint than doing full snatches. Uh, but I don't see any real benefit of the snatch over the swing. I mean, how much more conditioning are you going to get by fixing that bell up over your head? And is the risk-to-benefit ratio worth it? Are you really truly... Uh, getting that much more benefit from from a f- from a fitness point of view, if if you're lifting for fitness or sports enhancement or performance, why in the world would you ever want to risk your joints if you don't have to? If you can get just as much from swings, and I believe you can, from the snatch, then why would you even want to risk it? I mean, a lot of the sports that uh, you know people I coach, they're already doing fairly dangerous sports already, judo and need to be adding more trauma to their joints. And like I say, there are some people that seemingly can get away with it. But man, I have seen literally hundreds and hundreds that uh, have suffered. Now, Steve, do you, do you feel or do you think that compared to the swing by performance snatch that you're actually hitting those lats in a different area than you would with the swings? Do you feel like it's a little bit limited with the swings as far as the lat activation? And whereas when you're going a little bit higher, let's just say when you're hitting that 45 degree point and going a little bit higher with the snatch all the way to the top with the lockout, you're actually hitting different parts of the, the lats from that point on that the swings won't necessarily hit. Well, I never used the snatch as a lat activation drill. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, I, I have 12, you know, a dozen better lat activation drills than the snatch. Mm-hmm. And the snatch is a re- relatively poor uh, lat uh, drill. Uh, there's many, many better ones that are much, much safer that uh, you will get uh, as much lat development and strength as, as you would ever care to. 
and it doesn't involve that type of uh, trauma or that type of force. Now, let's say for someone that does do snatches continuously and like, for instance, kettlebell sport, wouldn't you say that for those athletes, whereas pretty much the sport they're participating in calls for continuous use of doing a snatch over and over again in order to combat injury, wouldn't it just make more sense to spend more time on recovery and different recovery techniques like getting adjusted and making sure that you're resting in between your, your practice sets, your training sets and, and that to actually combat that and prolong your, you know, you be, being a kettlebell athlete compared to just an everyday trainer. Now, I can see how someone who just trains every day just pretty much just to stay in shape and just to stay physical or whatever, where it may not necessarily be the best thing for them to do, you know, these long sets of snatches or whatever. But when it comes to a kettlebell sport athlete, wouldn't it be just a little bit different and wouldn't it just make more sense just to spend more time recovery, um, recovering well, instead you, of training? As a kettlebell sport uh, practitioner, you accept the risks of that particular sport. The purpose for the kettlebell sport person is to put up as many numbers as they can. That's that's the whole deal. As mm. many reps as possible. But that is not the best way to train for other uh, non-related sports. Oh, no. In other words, it would be the worst way to train, right. let's say, for wrestling or jiu-jitsu or, let's say, uh, gridiron-style football or whatever. Mm. So it, it's a sports-specific uh, training regimen. No one ever said it's healthy. No one ever said it's safe. And, you know, you accept those things when you um, engage in that type of uh, sports competition. I myself uh, find it incredibly boring. <laughs> I, I think it's the stupidest fucking sport ever. Yeah, we're going to, you know, I was going to ask you about that. That's I remember, my opinion, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh-oh. No, 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 because yeah, I remember, Steve, a while back, um, you had posted something about GS Sport, and it just pretty much started a shitstorm. And, you know, I, I had a, everyone like, hey, man, did you read this? I'm like, okay, he has his opinion. So, I mean, of course, you know, if anyone is participating in kettlebell sport, of course, they're going to get all upset about it. But, I mean, hell, I can feel that way about bowling and some of this other stuff. Somebody's bowling probably loves it. And I'm thinking, like, okay, unless I'm playing it just for fun, uh, like golf. I think golf is boring as shit, <laughs> you know, but people well, love well, it. And they'll, and they'll fight me to say that. <laughs> you know, they're like, well, how dare you say that about golf? I'm like, look, man, it's a chance <laughs> for me to smoke a cigar a lot longer. No, but and it's kind of like this. If you, if you enjoy doing it, then who cares what someone else exactly. thinks? Right? Exactly. You know, everyone has, an, has a right to say, I mean, if I say something sucks, and someone's offended by that. Why are they offended? Who cares exactly. what I think? If you like doing it, keep doing it. You know. <laughs> and then you know, and why it's come like, to me it's about like Brazilian it? Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I mean, like to many people, that may be one of the most boring things watching two guys land each other for ten minutes. You know. <laughs> I mean, I, I've actually gone out, got a drink, taken a piss, came back in, and the guys hadn't moved yet. <laughs> Somebody. <laughs> Some of the black belt matches, that's, that's been a criticism. So, uh, some of yeah, the CCs used to be like that, too. Remember Ken Shamrock versus Hoist Gracie? Yeah, they just, exactly. <laughs> Ken just lied on him for 37 minutes. That was exactly. Right. <laughs> we, we, actually, we actually coined a technique uh, named after that. We call it shamrocking. <laughs> <laughs> kind of hiding, not committing yourself, you know? <laughs> yeah, but I mean, for, for, for sure, you know, every, every, uh, uh, everything isn't for everybody. And uh, I'm a, I myself never was particularly interested in in putting up big numbers with with the kettlebell mm. for me it was a tool and it was a means to an uh to a different end but for the kettlebell sport guy you know it's an end unto itself and that's you know and if that's what floats a person's boat for sure go for it man who am i to say you shouldn't do it or you should do it but just be safe be reasonable be smart and like like you said, sincere, you you really too many of these these younger guys that are overtraining and they're not oh, giving yeah. themselves every time. 
And if down the road you do start to feel like your joints are really killing you, or you start to develop some osteoarthritis and so forth like I did, mm-hmm. hey, man, you know, you can always switch up or do something else or change your technique or maybe just drop a technique or whatever. I yeah. think a couple points is is one, I think when you do an RKC-style snatch, Steve, that's going to be more pronounced with developing some of the injuries you're talking about because that's really jamming that kettlebell back there. You're not just driving it overhead. I mean, you're you're just jamming it back in that position. I think if you do a more relaxed style where it's a softer landing overhead and then you're absorbing the shock with your entire body where you're not you're not forcing the range of motion either – I think that would be some of the ways you could avoid some of these things. And like you said, certain body types are just not going to respond well. But I think I think a lot of the negatives of the snatch could be avoided with certain technique modifications. And then, of course, in the context of athletes, if you can get the same results or even close enough to the same results with double swings, which is my favorite kettlebell ballistic exercise, or even one-arm swings, which is relatively easy to teach. You can teach someone how to do a, a proper swing pretty fast. Even even an athlete is going to take some time to learn the kettlebell snatch. It's just much more technically demanding. So it makes sense that you focus on a swing or some other modification. That makes perfect sense. But I, th- I think with a lot of exercises, a lot of the times when when people – when people develop injuries from an exercise, not all the time, but a lot of the times it's because their technique sucks. Like, for example, the bench press, right? A lot of people talk about how the bench press is bad for your rotator cuff, this, that, and so forth. And in some cases, that's true. But I, I see a lot of guys bench pressing all the time. And 90% of them have one thing in common. Their technique sucks. Yeah, they're, <laughs> all right? they're doing, you bridge, know? doing bridge presses. I mean, their <laughs> technique is crap. I've, I've, I don't, bench press is not a staple in my regimen, but it's, it's never been an exercise that's ever caused any issues with me in any way, rotator cup problems. And I've gone pretty heavy for myself on, on bench press over the years. But the technique is always really flawed technique. Well, especially when you're talking about management and a lot of yeah, um, yeah. Excess, like you say, excessive bouncing and, and so forth. Yeah. But for for um, for the biggest bang for the buck, you can't you can't beat the swing. It's just one of the best overall exercises for sure. Mm-hmm. And um, when I when I'm coaching or training athletes, I don't have time to be teaching them a lot of technical lifts working on technique of of, of, of technical exercises, the, the, that time should be spent in the dojo or on the basketball court or on the football field or on the wrestling mat. They need to be spending the majority of their time there developing their skill set right. and trying to teach uh, complex uh, movement patterns with weights is just a waste of their time. I've never found it to be very productive. Right. You know, I've been to Russia now uh, four times. I've been to St. Petersburg, Moscow. Uh, actually, Mo- five times. I've been to Moscow twice. Mm. I've been to Krasnodar on the Black Sea, and I've been to Novosibirsk, which is the midpoint of Russia. It's out, out in Siberia. Mm-hmm. It's uh, you ever hear that guy Alexander Karelin? Oh yeah, yeah I love yeah. that. Guy. Yeah, yeah well, that's yeah. where he's he a beast, that's, it, that's his hometown. Yeah, Novosibirsk. <laughs> you know, I, I was to j- several gyms, uh, combat gyms, uh, uh, Russian sambo. Uh, uh, I've been very interested in Sistema for some time now, and I've been to both military and, and uh, university uh, gyms. You know, he, I couldn't find uh, a single kettlebell. Actually, there was like three kettlebells at the university, uh, the military school gym, and uh, the guys were using them for curls, believe it or not. I swear to God. Well, that's what I was about to say. Whenever, whenever, whenever I've read about Russian athletes using kettlebells, it's for dumbbell. It's it's for chest presses or 
alternating presses or curls or rows or something like that, kind of like what you used to see in the old strongman magazines. They were using kettlebells the way a lot of people use dumbbells. But it's, yeah, so, that, that, uh, it's funny you say that because, you know, let the average kettlebell you know, coach tell you, they'll tell you that's what they're doing straight out of the womb. They're, they're training with kettlebells and, and PE classes, all this. It's like you honestly can tell they're just trying to sell it, man. They're just trying to sell whatever they're doing. <laughs> it's not right lie. In fact, hmm. I worked with some pretty high ups in the um, – the the uh, FHB, which is the the new KGB. Uh-huh. Uh, I was also there with uh, a lot of former special op soldiers, uh, Spetsnaz guys, and uh, they were telling me that uh, that that's just a bunch of hooey. <laughs> that uh, the, the, the kettlebell is not a very important training tool in any of the military. So I, that was kind of disappointing because I you know I drank that cool exactly back man. I feel well, it was it was one of those cool stories. You know you know what's interesting though mm-hmm. is that. I always think about would would the kettlebell explosion, the kettlebell training explosion, happen though without all of those lies? Because it was probably like, not. Yeah, you know, because it was all those lies. I mean, we, <laughs> yeah, we, exactly. We, we, the three of us wouldn't even be having this conversation most likely without all the lies that started the whole kettlebell <laughs> movement. You know, it's so, a sure full <laughs> man, man. I fell for it. Hey man, I drank it. You know? I drank it too, man. <laughs> Man, I went, back for, I went back for seconds and even thirds. <laughs> <laughs> people, people are just so intrigued by what exotic is, things, exactly. right? So it's like this handle. This handle. What does it do? Like, this is what these uh, people love this <laughs> vicarious <laughs> connection of. Here's how these people train. So it's like, okay, well, if I do that, then somehow I'm like those people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Next thing you know, they're growing beards and, you know, they're speaking with accents and everything else, man, eating bear. <laughs> so they just go all out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you go to you go out there, you come back, you, you, all of a sudden your fashion has changed. Yeah, exactly. and, you know, yeah. <laughs> all of a sudden you look like a villain from 24. Like, what the hell happened to you, man? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah like, people do like novelty and something different. I mean, it's like, you know, you you um, you go to a different country and you you see a woman and listen to a really hot, sexy foreign accent, you know, and it could be any accent. It could be British, it could yeah, be Scandinavian true. or whatever, you know. <laughs> oh my God, it's just so exotic. And women so, too. You so, say, oh my God, he has an accent. Okay, just like an American man, he's batshit crazy too. Okay, there's no. Well, not not all accents are effective. Like for example, a British <laughs> accent for British guys when they come to America, that's very effective. But Indian guys, they don't have much. You saw you my mother born. You know that that that's not. <laughs> I'm going to give it to you. You know <laughs> that, that, that accent. Yeah. That's... <laughs> Touch your toes, baby. It's like, nah, <laughs> that didn't do it for me, buddy. Sorry. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> do, you, so but Steve, do you think that just really comes from, especially like in, in the fitness world, just that mystique of the Russian training? So even going back to the Olympics, when like pretty much the USSR was kicking everybody's ass in the Olympics. And do you just feel like all that just kind of stemmed that all that kettlebell mystique just kind of played off of that as well? Oh, yeah. That whole, sure. that whole mean, Rocky Ford thing. <laughs> because of the Cold War, everyone, you know, had been taught from an early age and that of course i was right in the middle of it right mm-hmm. during the kennedy administration i was right you know like back in the the late 50s early 60s i, I lived through all that and you know it, but because of the taboo nature of the iron curtain mm-hmm. uh it just made us even more curious to find out mm-hmm. but you know the last time i looked sincere the u.s is it has always been putting up the most medals yeah exactly <laughs> so i mean obviously <laughs> their training technique aren't any better than ours. <laughs> U.S. has always led the world in, in competitive athletics. So, I mean, you know, 
Yeah. Okay. I was curious. I was interested uh, for sure. The uh, certain sports like uh, wrestling, the Russians really excel. Mm -hmm. And I was really curious to find out, you know, exactly what they did and how they conditioned themselves and how they were so superb in particular sports. But uh, if you think about it, all our top athletes, they're not going to be, you know, doing the hammer throw and the shot put. No, they're going to be playing NFL and making millions of dollars. <laughs> exactly, right? exactly. Well, that was my not point, too. Yeah, it came down yeah. to work. Not lifting you know, barbells yeah. for peanuts, you know? Right, right. So the, like, the best athletes are not – the best American athletes are not grooming themselves for Olympic lifting. N- not at, not that, at all. That's, that's not a category that the best athletes doesn't have a paycheck, first of all, for most of yeah. them. <laughs> that's the thing. Only a minute few – will even be recognized to be in that superstar status where they can actually get sponsorships and checks and all that. And yeah, it comes down to the money or it's a capitalistic society, man. You know, there's just no, there's just no shame well, in the game. Why UFC fighters are so much better athletes now because it's, there's actually real money to be made potentially. Exactly. Not, it potentially. Not everyone, yeah. But if you're smart, <laughs> well, the good old days, there was, even if you were the top guy, you're making $5,000 a fight. You're, making <laughs> you're not going to attract the best athletes who could, who could go in the direction of football or baseball or basketball or something right. that's way more lucrative. But now that's starting to change. And now you're seeing really incredible athletes gravitating towards MMA. Exactly. You know what I find really interesting uh, in every major weight class in the top, the top 10, uh, a huge number are dominated by former NCAA wrestlers. Oh yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, yeah, you're right. It's a, it's a different, that, small, that different gives, mindset. That, that's given new blood to uh, wrestling because a lot of the programs are dying off in the Division One and Two and Three uh, NCAA schools uh, because of uh, Title Ten and so forth. You know, they had to have uh, e- equal uh, uh, equality between the uh, men and women athletes, mm-hmm. which I'm for. But it did kill a lot of wrestling programs. But man. Now it's making a big time comeback because people can see what an effective martial art uh, uh, collegiate style wrestling can really be. But it's the American wrestlers that are dominating. You don't see the foreign wrestlers in there. So, you know, I'll stick with American training protocols. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I think people just like the idea that there's something out there that's better. Yeah, that's in where there's a real mystique to that. Yeah, so I think that's something yeah. that gravitates. Or the that, dream that of something people. being better than what they already have. You know, even right, when you right. look at the foreign leaders, I mean, Mike and I were kind of cracking up. I mean, everybody has this mystique about, you know, Putin. You know, this Putin is like this guy at a sambo. You know, he's in the, you know, MMA and all this. And OK, let's let's be honest. Probably the last badass president we ever had was Theodore Roosevelt. <laughs> okay, let's, if, any, if anyone knows history, that's probably the last badass president you ever had. This is a dude that got shot while making a speech, you know, trying while he was campaigning. <laughs> and, he, and instead of going to the hospital, he finished his speech, you know, and it, it barely missed his heart. I, you'd be hard pressed to find anybody running for president that would be that badass ever again. This dude did jujitsu. He pre practiced jujitsu and all that. So, but then Mike Simmons' this picture, and I actually saw it um, on TV. It shows our president lifting these light dumbbells and it looked like he was kind of struggling a little bit. So, of course, you, everybody kind of goes back to that Cold War thing like, yeah, man, the Russians, this. I mean, look at their leader. You know, because most people think, you know, your country's only strong as your leader. So, well, they're definitely badass. I mean, yeah. the guys I met over there, incredibly friendly, very curious about. There's a little pink helmet on. I swear to God, there's a picture of him riding with a helmet on, right? And then there's then there's Vladimir Putin sitting bare chested on a horse. horse. Yeah. And, and and then there's another picture. He has an AK-74. You know, <laughs> going. I mean, that's definitely a man. man. Th- I, actually wrote, I actually I wrote him a letter. I want to I want to uh, uh, meet him. I, I'd love to go out and spar with him sometime, man. That'd be great for uh, American uh, Russian. <laughs> 
relations, you know? <laughs> yeah, Putin's got an AK, and the only thing that Obama's shooting is a basketball. So that's <laughs> there's the difference right there, man. And the biggest yeah, badass sure. president we've had in the last 10 years was President Palmer in the TV show 24. <laughs> <He's>, <laughs> you know? The first one, the first President Palmer, not Wayne. That, that was the first black president. Yeah. The, first, the first black president was President David Palmer in 24. Yeah. Come on, let's be honest. <laughs> let's just be honest. <laughs> yeah, I almost bought all state insurance because of that, because of how well he did on that show. You know? <laughs> all right, Steve, let, let's get into Olympic lifting a little bit, because I know you have strong views on that. You touched on that early in the episode, but a, a lot of people look at Olympic lifting as an in, in incredible way to build explosive strength and power to carry over to combat sports, including things such as football. You know, what are, what's your whole take on Olympic lifting? As a kid, I was actually trained in the Olympic lifts. I lived just a few miles from the York Barbell Club in York, Pennsylvania. Uh, I was in an adjacent town, Carlisle. And my dad used to take me down there quite a bit. And this is back in the day when the United States actually had world champions in uh, Olympic lifting. Mm. One of the guys down there that used to uh, do some tutoring down there, his name is Robert Benarski. And they used to have a little clinic down there for, for the kids. And I was actually taught by the last world champion the, the United States ever had. He was the world champion of the 242-pound class. And I believe that was in the mid-70s when he won that world championship. He was in a race uh, with Leonid Zabanowski to be the first guy to clean and jerk over 500 pounds. Mm. And I personally witnessed him jerk 505 pounds off the rack in a training loop. Wow. So he definitely was poised to do it. But uh, the Russian beat him to it. And uh, I think his highest uh, jerk was 485 pounds in, in an actual competition. What, what was his name, Steve? Robert Benarski. Okay. Bob Benarski. But, uh, but there were several other guys that had placed in the world that year. Uh, Joe Duby, uh, Ernie Pickett, they were like highly placed. So I learned Olympic lifting. I, I, knew, I, know, I knew about it. I, it was my first, li- uh, first introduction to barbell training. But I quickly abandoned it, Mike. And the reason why, I found that it just wasn't helping me for my first love, wrestling. When I discovered wrestling in, in uh, the mid-60s, I quickly found I had a real knack for it, and I wanted to be the best wrestler I could possibly be. And I didn't feel like the Olympic lifts were helping me one iota. So I quickly abandoned them, and I I never felt that they increased my explosiveness at all. They increased my explosiveness for doing the Olympic lifts, the specific Mm -hmm. act of throwing a barbell. But when it came time for a single or double leg takedown, the only thing I found that really made me fast was just shooting a thousand takedowns. Right. Mm-hmm. And I got lightning quick. But uh, I I never I never saw any evidence in all the years, and I've been training now for about fifty two years. I've never seen any evidence that you can selectively recruit fast twitch muscle fibers. Oh. I've never seen that. Now, some people, there's a lot of argument back and forth. Some people say yay, some people say nay. But in my personal experience. I never experienced the um, the ability to recruit fast twitch muscle fiber by doing the lifts explosively. What I did experience was injuring myself uh, <laughs> trying to throw really heavy weights around. <laughs> so I was always real uh, a real advocate of of controlled repetitions, yeah. and general general training, you know, like general strength training, not nothing too scalar. Loading myself with chins and dips barbell presses but done under control uh you know barbell rows there was a time i did benches uh you know i, I used to like to train the elbow joint with uh, curls and extension and extensions to keep my elbows strong 
you know, wrist roller. Certainly, I did plenty of barbell back squats and, and deadlifts, but uh, I wasn't afraid to mix in some machines either. I, I was a big advocate of uh, the hammer leg press yeah. and leg yeah. extensions and leg curls for my knee joints. Anything that worked. Right. I was. I loved the old uh, Nautilus and, and hammer uh, four-way neck machine for oh, yeah. for wrestling and jiu-jitsu. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of a hybrid uh, training, and I found that that gave me the biggest bang for the buck. Actually, yeah, Louis that, I missed that dead. four-way yeah. neck machine. We used to use a lot of that. Oh, yeah. yeah, we used to use that a lot in football here in Texas yeah. all the time, man. Yeah. Now, Louis Simmons has top legendary powerlifting coach. Louis Simmons has similar views to you, actually, Steve, on Olympic lifting. And he basically said that once you add resistance, you're not going to develop that explosive power. So he's a big fan of box jumps and things of that nature. So he said with Olympic lifting, you may be moving it fast, but you're moving it fast for the context of what you're doing there. And it's not necessarily going to increase. This is his words, not mine. It's not necessarily going to increase your speed or explosiveness in other arenas. Yeah, well, I mean, you get really good at moving fast under that particular load in that grooved <laughs> position. Yeah. Pretty much lifting in a very specific groove or, or, or movement pattern. And I, you know, it, you, you get strong doing that. There's no doubt about that. But does it make you faster or more explosive at doing other non-related things, other skills? I never have found that to be true whatsoever. Yeah. And then, and then, then, then the question is. The people I right. have trained. Right. And then the question would also be, even if it does, can you get that doing something else? Oh, yeah, I was about to say that. have like, the technical <laughs> demands. Yeah. yeah. What's something else well, that, you know, you know, that you offer, Steve? What, what other things do you suggest other than that? Other than just like you said, you, you did thousands of takedowns to make your takedowns better. But as far as also, what other alternatives do you think would help in a situation like that, even with wrestling, when you're working on takedown explosiveness? Well, I mean, that's pretty much it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to do the actual skill as close to competition conditions as possible. Mm-hmm. And, man, you just groove that in and your nervous system does get quite uh, adapted. And you, you really do become, and you know, it's not just about the explosiveness. It's also about timing and mm-hmm. precision. Yeah. And you know, if you have the right time, if you re- if your timing is good, you can actually be kind of slow and still pull it off because yeah. of the setups and so forth. So there's all these skills involved and every sport has those type of specific skills. And the athlete is much better off spending his time working on those things than spending too much time <clears throat> in the weight room. There really does come a point of diminishing returns where any increase in strength, in order to get stronger, you have to become almost a specialist. Like I found that uh, the point of diminishing return for a deadlift is about double your body weight. Lifting more than that isn't going to really uh, uh, increase your your performance that much more in in the sports arena. Um, You know, things like bench press. If if you have an athlete, he's benching – you know, one and a half times his body weight for reps. And he's a pretty strong dude. He, he doesn't need to be that much stronger. And getting him that much stronger is just taking away from what he really needs to be doing, which is working his sports skills. Anybody that can that can do chin ups with half his body weight attached with a dip, uh, you know with a belt around his waist or doing dips with half his body weight, he's as strong as he ever really needs to be. So you know, athletes have to understand they're not strength specialists. That's not what they're trying to do. Their weights are a means to becoming a better athlete. So getting stronger isn't really going to help them that much more. The um, the increase in, in performance is going to be microscopic at best. They'd be much better off uh, just spending more time 
working on the skill sets and the timing and the precision, or even just taking off and just resting. Because, you know, once you get to a certain level, Mm -hmm. man, you're really able to dig down deep and push yourself pretty hard. And systemically, it actually takes a longer time for the advanced man to recover than, let's say, Mm -hmm. a more beginner guy. (laughs) A guy like like you, Mike, you can you can devastate your body because you're able to push yourself so hard, and because you do have uh, a, such a well developed nervous system and, and and such an amazing strength, you know uh, a work a really hard workout for you might take several days to recover from, whereas you could take like some beginner that could just bounce back the next day because right. he's yeah. not able to even taxes himself systemically. He doesn't even have enough muscle mass to do this. Yeah. yeah, we're we're realizing that we've we've realized in this past probably like six seven months the hard way, <laughs> you know, just kind of little 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 injuries or whatever that you know like I said most people bounce right back from or whatever. But the, again, like you said, when you become so advanced that sometimes you start getting those little warnings, but you've been doing it for so long those warnings are not warnings to you anymore. You just kind of like ah oh, let me let me just butch up a little bit today and suck it up and keep going or something like that. So there's a difference between that and a beginning trainee. As soon as they feel something like okay I'm done. <laughs> I'll tell you what makes it makes a huge difference. You know, like right now I'm doing my second cycle of the Cohen Philippi deadlift program. It worked yeah. really well for me the first time I did it. And we'll have more come on the show and talk about it. But I'm doing the second cycle. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, I hit this. So I do that one day. And then I do basically heavy partial deadlifts three or four days later. Now I'm getting away with excelling at both right now because I've got the restoration dialed in so well where mm-hmm. – in the combination of the diet, supplements, and all that, I also get a really good sports recovery massage, rather, once a week. Every week I've been doing this. This is an experiment I always wanted to do where I go, huh, I wonder how much of a difference it would make getting a really skilled massage practitioner mm-hmm. to work on me once a week. It's making a huge difference. So a lot of people, if, you're, if you have the funds to do it, I recommend you try this experiment. And I do that once a week, and then I do spa once a week as well, hot tubs on a steam room. So I do those two things once a week. That's making a big difference to ensure that the recovery is optimal and that you can push yourself. Because like Steve said, that the heavier you lift, the better you are at strength training, the more you're going to tap into your reserves. So now you have to balance the equation. I always say that optimal training is a balance between intensity and then restoration right. so if you're doing you're doing adrenaline based training which is strength training and so forth that's really going to tap into your reserves you can get away with that though if you balance the equation with the proper restoration practices but the, the other thing too uh, i'd like to know uh, both you mike and sincere you're you're basic uh strong man i mean you're lifting to be really strong and lifting heavy weights is pretty much the goal for you guys and for a guy like myself, I'm I'm just basically training to be able to do other things. Actually, at my age now, I'm just trying to hold on to what I've built. You know, right. and there comes a point where your PRs are long gone, man. Gonna, <laughs> you just want to be able to kind of hold on to some of that strength you built o- over over the years. Yeah. And I find that, um, of course, when you're pushing for personal best and PRs and records, and you know, and the goal really is to lift that that massive weight, you're going to get hurt. There's no two ways about it. You're going to pull something. You're going to stress something. You know, you're because you're pushing the limits, the boundaries of your 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 genetic limits, and as far as strength goes. Right, right, right. Uh, but when it comes to training athletes for other sports, uh, I find it reprehensible uh, to be for a trainer to produce an injury in an athlete. No doubt. Oh yeah. Proper proper strength training should should prevent injuries, not cause them. Right. So people for so people are training for health and well being and or to become better 
at other sports, they should not be getting hurt. They should not need they they should not need to uh, you know warm up for like 20 minutes before going in and training. Right. Especially if they're just training for health and well-being, they shouldn't need foam rollers you know for half an hour to train. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Right. And and for sure they should not be getting hurt. But I see it all the time. Trainers hurting people, people hurting themselves. Well, let's get into that. You know, yeah. what, what are some of the common mistakes you see with program design? Let's talk about program design, programs that just drive you nuts. You see trainers putting these programs together, and you're just going, oh, come on. Well, a lot, a lot of this nonsense, like uh, I'm not a big advocate of the battling ropes and all that kind of stuff, you huh. know? Just, just because it's hard doesn't mean it's necessarily good. I don't like it just because I, I just don't like doing it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, like, well, never, never. I, I've had John Brookfield teach at one of my events, and I thought it was kind of cool. And you know, I have the ropes, but I never got into it just because I, I just never found it interesting to do. You know, <laughs> well, you know, people talk about like, well, let's do an MMA circuit. It's like, dude, that's, <laughs> it's not MM. That's not MM. What athlete that's are you going to shake up and down? Yeah. <laughs> What would you say, MMG? <laughs> it's not MMA, it's MMG. <laughs> it's like, dude, that's that's not how MMA fighters train. Right. You know, they, they, you know, hitting the sledgehammers and stuff. And I've done all that it, stuff, it looks you know? cool in a UFC behind the scenes. Exactly, but... It looks really strikes, cool, The battling ropes, because... You know, and then Joe Rogan's always going on and on about battling ropes, and, and that's enough right there to get a lot of people to go try it, just right. because he's talking about it. You know, so it, it's uh, people get intrigued. Again, it goes back to I want to feel like a fighter, but I don't want to get punched. I, I don't want to get punched in the face. <laughs> What's the next? Thing? I don't want to get punched in the head. I want to get punched. I don't want to get taken down. I don't want to get humbled. I don't want to get beat up in any way. So let me. Let me do battling ropes and kettlebell training and sledgehammers. You know, I see in those clips. Yeah. Run some hill sprints and, you know, maybe two or three and I'll stop. <laughs> That's about it, man. But as far as, uh, yeah, the other thing that drives me crazy is the, the people still trying to do split routines like bodybuilders and so forth, you know? Yeah. yeah. Just, you know, I've always leaned a little bit more towards the uh, uh, short, br- uh, brief, abbre- abbreviated type routines. Right. Uh, I, I guess you might say hit, uh, but I mean, there's such a huge uh, variety uh, that could all be classified as, as uh, high intensity training. Right. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, pe- people that are athletes trying to uh, do split routines and today I'm going to train my, my thigh biceps and uh, my, my curls and lateral raise. And tomorrow I'm going to do my pecs and my triceps. And I mean, that that's just like, Totally crazy. <laughs> yeah, the only people, I mean, there are obviously professional bodybuilders that do train like that, but, uh, you know, you, you, the, the successful ones are obviously uh, genetically gifted and, of course, just taking a, a boatload of drugs. Right, right, right. And, you know, for every, for every top pro bodybuilder that builds enormous physique, there's like, you know, 10,000 other dudes following the same exact program that just like burn out messes. (laughs) Right. Yeah, exactly. There's only the only reason you can even get away with that volume of training is with the anabolics and and then the genetics as well. So it's a combination of good genetics to start with and then using copious amounts of anabolics that furthers that end. Now what's, what, what is, what is it again with the battling ropes that you're not a big fan of? I kind of cut you off on that. No, I mean, it's just like one of the skill-specific endurance sets. I mean, okay. yeah, for yeah. sure, it's hard. I mean, my God, your heart rate is up and your arms are burning and, and hurting like like that. But, I mean, <laughs> you know, if, I, if I'm training wrestlers or jiu-jitsu guys, you know, 
they need to get that specific conditioning on the mat, gripping up on, uh, you know, with the, with the gi on the ground right. or, you know, practicing the skills. Uh, that type of uh, endurance work is just building a very specific endurance that goes into throwing those ropes around. Doesn't necessarily translate into uh, other types of endurance. Right. I'll give an example. Lance Armstrong was considered the greatest endurance athlete probably of the century. You know, drugs or no drugs. Guy was a phenom. Mm-hmm. Well, I think what did we what did I read is Western Heart Rate was something like thirty-eight, like thirty-two, yeah, thirty-two, something ridiculous. Some, some, some ridiculous low number. Mm. His first uh, road race, he did a ten k or something. I mean, he didn't even come in the top one hundred, which goes to show you that there's no such thing as cardio and there's no such thing as endurance. It's 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 muscle endurance. In other words. Running is a very specific type of muscle endurance. Right. Cycling is a very type, a specific type of, 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 uh, you know, endurance. Mm-hmm. It's it's your ability to to uh, produce uh, effort in those uh, in, in in those type of specific activities. So being the great, world's greatest cycling cycler didn't help him when it came to run, and being a great runner would you know you you would do horrible in the in the uh, Tour de France, and you put both guys in the swimming pool, and they would totally suck. Right. And you, you <laughs> take a guy that's good at all three, you know, let's say the world's greatest triathlete, even at 62 years old, I'll trash his ass in like two minutes on the jiu-jitsu mat. Right. He's so tired, <laughs> right. he, he, you know, he won't even be able to breathe. So what's it tell you? But yeah, you know, if, if I tried to even do half of his workout, I would be utterly exhausted. <laughs> so, right. You know, you get good at doing these activities, but I just don't see the carryover value, Mike. I, just I, really well, I agree with you. I've always mm-hmm. found that myself, like all these magical transfers that people talk about. We used to hear that in the RKC quite a bit. I've, I've never experienced that personally. So, for example, if I get really good at double kettlebell pressing, that doesn't necessarily improve my barbell overhead press because the technique you use to get proficient at kettlebell pressing, when you get really good at kettlebell pressing, there's a very precise technique, which is different enough than the way you optimally press a barbell that is going to have minimal transfer back and forth. And so even something as, as simple as that, I've never found carries over well. Like sprinting, for example, if I don't sprint, I'm not, gonna, I'm not, I'm not good at it anyway, <laughs> but I'm, I'm going I'm to be even less good at it to get better. So I've, I've, I agree with you on that. I've never found that something just transfers so provi- precisely to something else. And I think that's one of the mistakes I see a lot of people talking about saying, if you do this, it's going to improve that. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, often it's not the case. So you want to get better at that, just do that. <laughs> well, the, the only thing that does approve everything across the board, including make your joints tougher and makes you less susceptible to injury, is just general strength training, mm-hmm. non-scalar strength training. What do I mean by non-scalar? Movements and exercises that don't require a high skill set. Mm-hmm. Like an Olympic barbell snatch is a real high skill set. But a barbell deadlift is a much lower skill set. Yes. A swing mm-hmm. is just a little bit more than, uh, let's say, a barbell deadlift. But, you know, they're both basically hinging movements. Right. They're, they're pretty general. You don't need to be particularly skilled to do the lift. Those things transfer into everything. You'll make, right. you know, right. uh, stronger muscles obviously build uh, better work capacity. Uh, so, you know, if you're building your max strength, you're also building your repetition strength. You know, there's always that fixed ratio between the two. Yeah. You can't build strength without automatically building a certain degree of muscular endurance. So, yeah, I never, I never, I never ever saw the uh, the old what the hell effect. You know, that <laughs> yeah, you're just, right. 
No, but I like just, you, made, you made a good point about strength up because I've found that if, if I, getting strong with low reps will carry over to the higher reps more than the other way around. Right. And I don't mean to say that you're going to be you're going to be better than someone who focuses on high reps. I'm not saying that, but I do find that if if I if, like for example, if I worked up to you know bench pressing 225 30 times and I, and I and I never went heavier than that. I was just doing that weight or something lighter to build reps. And then I tried to bench press 300 it's, it's gonna. It's, I'm gonna get pinned with it. But if I work up to let's say 315 for five reps, and then one day decide to just rep out with 225, it's gonna be pretty good, even right. though I haven't focused on that. So at least, at least speaking personally and just observing others, there's definitely more transfer between strength to that muscular endurance than the other way around. Is, is yeah, that, unless the load is below, let's say. Uh, what I found below sixty percent. Okay. Okay. Yeah, but, okay. but anything above sixty percent, you're going to get an automatic uh, transfer of endurance. I always tell these guys that you know one of the best ways to build their pull-up numbers is once you get past let's say twelve, just start uh, adding weighted pull-ups. Right. And when you go back to body weight again, you'll be you know they'll be pleasantly surprised how they're knocking out fifteen, yeah. eighteen, twenty. I mean, so, part of it'll be a psychological benefit, right? You just feel so much lighter that you're just blasting through those first couple of reps. Builds, yeah, through. builds a certain level of confidence. So when you do something heavy and then you go back to something light again, just the fact that it feels so light builds a certain level of confidence. Right. There, there is one thing that does seem to give really good cross-transference to a whole bunch of different activities. I've been really into crawling lately. Hmm. I, uh, I had been into crawling back in the 60s as part of uh, wrestling program. Part of your S and M S and M background, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> hey, my name is Steve Maxwell. <laughs> but um, I, there was actually a guy doing his master's thesis at uh, Westchester State uh, when I was a young undergrad, huh. and uh, he was using the wrestlers as, as one of his control groups for his crawling protocols. Mm. And we we got tremendous uh, uh, across the board in, in improvements in a lot of unrelated things. Um, it was real interesting how much better my my whole body felt. Uh, talk about joint mobility. Mm. I, I believe that crawling may be the ultimate joint mobility. Right. And I noticed that uh, my my running and my my walking, and uh, even if I haven't done one arm push ups and things that are which are you know pretty pretty specific groove. Sure. Uh, when I'm doing the Spider Man crawls, wow, I, I can just at any point just drop down and do uh, one arm push up one arm one leg uh, pistols and i've been reading uh other people experiencing the same thing they they got tim anderson i've never met him but uh, i like i like his work and uh, i've known jeff newport and uh those guys are big into the crawling thing now and hmm. i've been uh looking at some of the stuff they're doing and uh, I've i've been pretty much crawling all along i wonder i wonder how weight vest crawling would work can you put one of those x vests on Something of that nature, or would that just be a distraction? <laughs> you know? Well, I think once the crawling becomes pretty submax, yeah, yeah, sure yeah. you might want to wait it. Um, I, my my son Zach, who was an elite Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, he was doing Spider-Man crawls while dragging a forty-pound chain on his neck, wow. and uh, both forward and backward. And he worked up to the point where he was doing like ten minutes nonstop without putting his knees down, while with a forty-pound chain hanging on his neck. And he said that his just his strength, endurance, and his just all uh, all, all around uh, uh, ability to locomote was just phenomenal. Yeah, it seems like so, it would give you. It seems like it would give you more whole, pain for your whole body movements. Like I mean, that. you you have exercises like that on your DVD, don't you? Since yeah, exactly. And yeah. One of the things I I mean, especially like if I'm kind of just 
needing to back off from weights or something like that. That's when I started doing a lot of crawling. Like I'll sit here in the house, I'll crawl up the stairs and just crawl around. And that right there is a, <laughs> is a good, you know, a good workout in itself. But I, one thing, it's like a, you get like a lot of bang for your buck with that because with your hands, you've got a little bit of a pulling motion going on as you're pulling on the floor. You can make it very specific to pull when you're doing that, but you also got some pushing going on as well. You, and it's really helping out with the joints and also with your mobility. It's helping with your hips, you know, and you're working your hamstrings, you're working your lower back. And it's also taking a lot of strain off the lower back that a lot of other exercises when you're standing upright could be doing as well. So it's just so many different things. And then it's just something to be said about having those proprioceptors work, especially if you do it barefoot or something like that, man, and just really firing up the brain activity as well. So there's so many different things that are going on when you're crawling. It's one of the reasons why, hey, for, for most children most babies that's where they start you know before everything else starts to develop i mean i don't think there's i don't think it's just an accident that, that happens that you know you crawl before you walk man i don't know well it really develops the central nervous system in yeah. the brain that cross crawl movement patterning has a distinct effect on uh nervous system development mm -hmm. and people that miss a lot of that cross crawl uh, a lot of times the, those kids have reading problems, uh, math problems, and so forth. Mm -hmm. And they find that when they repattern them with the original cross-crawling, that a lot of times those, those problems go away. And if you think about the average infant, let's say three months to like uh, eight months when they, when they start doing all this stuff, yeah. think about the size of the baby's head and how heavy that is. Mm -hmm. That'd be like us, you know, strapping like a 40-pound <laughs> barbell plate tour because <laughs> i mean that big old melon it's a you know, big old big aliens man that's all yeah. and th think how strong their little backs and neck and yeah. you know there's rhomboids and, and all yeah. those muscles are and then yeah i uh, I'm, I'm 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 absolutely fascinated about the whole crawling thing and i i think that it's really good for you and uh um, tim anderson refers to it as the original strength protocol and um there, there are some uh, evidence out there. There's different people like this. Uh, this one lady who wrote the book Smart Moves, uh, Dr. Hannah. She's a movement uh, specialist. She claims that uh, she's had some success with re reversing uh, early uh, dementia, Alzheimer's, hmm. onset dementia, and she she's had great success with learning disability. You know, repatterning oh. kids and all that. And she claims movement uh, is is how the brain is fed. It's like nourishing the brain. Like what food is for the body, movement is for the brain. So this whole Western education model where we tell the kids to sit down, be quiet, shut up, don't move. Right. Yeah, wow, yeah. what a terrible thing, man. Yeah. Those yeah. kids need to be moving. Especially for yeah. young boys. You know, young boys have so much energy. And right. when you try to quell that, it's totally counterproductive because now it's going to manifest in some negative way. Exactly. And, you know, one of the things, some of the feedback I've got from quite a few people that um, got my bodyweight DVD, quite a few of those are mothers who have children on the autism spectrum. And they were saying that they would have instructors or teachers who would try to get these kids to be active and it just it didn't work out. And as soon as like a couple of mothers said that, hey, this really helped my child. He's on the autism spectrum. He has so much fun with these animal movements and the crawling. And now he's being very active, which I was so surprised by that. And then once I sent that testimony out there and then they start telling some of their friends about it, you know, it just it's been very effective for quite a few parents, you know, who have children on the autism spectrum. So, again, these children need activity as well. 
they they have a lot of pent up energy as well. And I think a lot of times they get so frustrated because they try to go that traditional route of trying to get the children on the autism spectrum to participate in physical activity like a normal child or like a, a child who doesn't who's not on the spectrum. And it becomes very detrimental. And these, these parents end up getting frustrated. So, again, this crawling situation really takes I don't care where these children were, you know, at some point. This is kind of taking them back to something that they're all familiar with. It's back to a foundation, back to a base where they come from and not all this other stuff where you're trying to get them to go out and play kickball and football and, and do all this <laughs> other stuff. It's like, come on, man. That's, that's, <laughs> this, is, this is a different situation, right? Those conventional ways are not necessarily going to work for them. Right. Now, back to adults, does crawling improve any intimate activities, bedroom <laughs> activities? <right? laughs> Let's break this to something. You, because a lot of people are like, I don't, a lot of people listening are like, I don't want to start crawling. And you got to give them something that'll. You got to give them a reason. You know, for, we got we got to talk about a magical transfer now of of, of what crawling. Come on, was. Steve. We need that what the hell effect, man. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> for the adults. People are gonna be like, crawling. I don't want to do that. And then once they once they hear, it, well, it'll help you over here. Oh, okay. Well, in that okay, case, well, that's all you have to say. <laughs> it's funny. I had, there was a guy I was talking to one time at uh, this park in Las Vegas. Took my dogs over there. We were just talking about fitness, and then the topic of nutrition came up and supplements and stuff like that. And this guy was really overweight. I mean, he's about a, probably eighty pounds overweight at least. And he was asking me. He's like, "Let me ask you a question." He's like, uh, "Can you recommend anything that'll put more lead in my pencil?" If you know what I mean. <laughs> and I was thinking, I was like, "Man, the, the first goal you should have is the ability to see your pencil." You're thinking way too many things. And it's like, if I were you, that would be the last thing on my mind. You know, sex and any of that stuff. That would be low on the list of concerns right now. You know, first concern would be I want to be able to see my feet again. You know, and that one. <laughs> I want to get healthy. I was like, you want to improve the, your health, you know, drop some of the fat, get on an exercise regimen. But I think, I think that, you know, joking aside, when it, a lot of people that have certain levels of, let's say, mild depression, you know, I'm not talking about chronically depressed. That's a whole different scenario. But a lot of kids that are not happy, a lot of adults that are not happy, a, a good chunk of that will come from inactivity. You know, you're not going to be a happy camper. You're just sitting around all the time. You know, your brain is going to be foggy. You're not going to feel good. You know, when your brain is foggy, you, you don't feel good when you're in that state. It's like when you have a hangover, someone who had a couple too many drinks, the next day your brain's all foggy. You don't feel good at all. So, I mean, activity is so important, not just for your physical health, but for your brain health. And just getting outside and getting that vitamin D, you know, yeah, from, from the sun. And of course, these, you know, the places that have the harsh winters and the low winter sun—that's brutal, man. Right. I, uh, I sometimes like in my travels, I'll, I'll be in places without a lot of sunlight for a while. Yeah. I usually try to stay in the warm places. Kind of like, but I can actually feel my own energy going down and maybe kind of getting the blues a little bit. Uh, and man, the first sunny day, I'll get out there and expose uh, my skin to the sun for 20 minutes or so. Yeah. Wow, it's amazing the, how energized you are the next day. It's just incredible. Well, we have so much anxiety energy, too, that if you don't work it out, it just builds and builds and builds. And me personally, I've, I'm prone to mild depression, always have been, if I don't stay on top of it, meaning that you know diet's on point and then also getting that physical activity. So, for example, sometimes if I have a day where I've just got some mild depression for no inexplicable reason, I mean, there's, there isn't anything necessarily going on where that's what's causing it. But if I go do some sprinting, just work out that nervous energy, I always feel like a million bucks after every single time. 
You know, so oh yeah, for sure. It's so important. Sprinting. I, there's never been a time where I went sprinting where I feel worse after. I always right. feel better. After. And it doesn't have to be sprinting to people listening. It could be whatever in, intense form of exercise you do. But something about sprinting really works for me, where not only does it improve my physique composition and it's fun to do, but I always feel really good afterwards. Yeah, there's no doubt that uh, exercise can have a mood, ele- mood elevating properties, you know, get the feel good hormone going. Uh, one, one of the things I find that people do not know how to breathe properly, mm. uh, I, I think of, the, uh, of sitting as the new smoking because it's like one, of the, <laughs> yeah. one of the worst things you can do for your body. Yeah. Besides creating forward head and kyphosis in the upper back, shortened hamstrings, shortened hip flexures, uh, it really, uh, people lose the ability to move. I think a lot of the aging process isn't some mysterious cellular thing that's happening. I think people literally are forgetting how to move their bodies. Right. My, my mom, for example, you know, she spends most of the day in a chair. I don't, I literally don't believe she could get down on the floor and get back up. Mm. I don't think she could. I, I think it would be a, a huge struggle. Mm. And, you know, this was a woman that used to be incredibly athletic in her younger days. But, you know, all those years of sitting yeah. has literally eroded her, her, her nervous system's ability to, you know, uh, do certain movement patterns, like simple stuff, you know, that yeah. we take for granted. Yeah. And then, you know, people just literally forget how to move, how to walk. They can't climb stairs anymore and so forth. Mm. But a lot of it, uh, a, lot, a lot of this too is the shallow breathing from sitting all day. Yeah. And a lot of people are feeling tension and stress because they're using the emergency auxiliary muscles of the neck and the upper shoulders and the clavicle. So they're all caught up in the upper chest with the, with their, with their breathing. Right. They need to learn how to bring the breath down into the lower lobes of the lungs where all the calming receptors are. Right. Because when you breathe into the upper chest, you're basically creating a panic response. You're in an all-day-long panic breathing situation Right. with the, all the accompanying stress hormones. So, yeah, people are feeling like all this stress and all this tension, and especially if they have, like, a crappy job anyway. You know, that added on to poor <laughs> breathing habits. Yeah. No wonder they're exhausted when they go home. They don't have any energy left. They've well, I mean, been in stress uh, all day long, man. That's an important statement right there. If you have a crappy job, that's going to affect your move, obviously, as, as anyone who's ever had a crappy job knows. And I've had many throughout my life. You know, it's basically yeah, impossible. I've had a few too, man. It's impossible to feel good when you hate what you do for a living. That's just a fact, whether you like it or not. Some people hear that. They're like, well, I've got to do what i got to do. It's like, okay, that's, we're not going to get into that. But the, but the point is, whether you got to do what you got to do, if you hate what you do, you're not going to feel good. That's just a fact, whether you like it or not. But, you know, I, I like what you said about the breathing, Steve, because one of our guests a couple of months ago, Boss Rudin, sent, sent us these O2 trainers, which is his breathing device, where it actually provides resistance when you breathe in, not when you breathe out. So it's different than most breathing devices out there. And I use this device before I go to sleep each night. I'll just sit in my massage chair and do the deep breathing drills. And it always helps with just calming your energy before you go to bed. And I actually like to do it in the morning as well because, again, you're breathing in deeply. It's helping you learn how to breathe properly because, like you said, a lot of people are chest breathers. And you're also just sucking in more oxygen and so forth, more air, so that you, you, your brain feels better, you feel better, your energy is better. So that, that's, that's a really important point. I think a lot of times we look at complex solutions to simple problems where sometimes you have to bring it back down to something such as, as simple as, optimal breathing mechanics, optimal movement patterns, you know, balancing nutrition, et cetera, all those things make a huge difference. 
Well, you know, it is a lot of times the the answers are quite simple, right. but they're hard because you know people get into ingrained habits. So sure. breaking uh, uh, um, habits can be pretty tough, but it's, it's certainly something that uh, is doable and must be done at some point. Yeah, I, I think when a person's desire to improve is greater than his desire to just remain the same, yeah. then he's already halfway there. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. When you, that's the thing right there. It's like it's, if you don't have, it's not about your genetics or necessarily what's what you've been handed in life. It's your motivation to turn things around. If your motivation is strong enough. You'll make those things happen. I always say you have to be fed up with whatever the situation is. You have to reach that fed up point where the idea of staying on that course is nauseating to you. You know, when you haven't reached that point, it's too easy just to stay there because you you could be in a situation that you don't like, but change is so difficult that you'll just tolerate that (laughs) because you don't want to go through those, those deep reserves you have to tap into to make meaningful changes. And sometimes seeming disasters are really blessings in disguise. You know? <laughs> yeah. Like yeah, when my ex-wife threw me out, I thought it was the <laughs> end of the world. Damn, what a favor she did for me, man. Ended up being yeah. the best. Yeah, no. That, mean, that really changed true. the whole trajectory of your yeah, life. Yeah, I've sure. known you. I know. I knew. I knew you before all this stuff happened. So I've I've seen the Steve Maxwell before that and the one after. So I mean, uh, I saw. I remember that whole process. And um, yeah, so I mean, sometimes the, these uh, these so-called traumatic things are really uh, sort of like your subconscious uh, way of trying to enact change. Right. And you know, you you, you kind of like subconsciously attract these particular situations, and, uh, <laughs> right. just through your actions. And boom, it seems like this really really traumatic, terrible thing. And then when you look back, it's like, wow, man. That's the best thing that ever happened to me. <laughs> yeah, because I remember you were saying you used to, to dread going home sometimes, and you would just watch TV all night and stuff like that. And and where that that compared to where you're at now is a totally different scenario. You know, now you're flying all over the world. You're having a good time teaching. You're always in an upbeat. I mean, you're always in a good mood since I've known you. You've never been a guy that's doom gloom, but uh, it, it just seems that's even more pronounced now. You can really tell you enjoy what you're doing right now. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I owned the Dream Gym, and I had the you know the the uh, the, the beautiful brownstone house, and and uh, you know the two two kids and two cats and two ferrets, <laughs> and, uh, you know, beautiful wife, and, yeah. you know, two cars, and you know, it seemed like I was living the dream, right? I had a you know this fantastic personal training gym, a amazing Brazilian Jiu Jitsu academy. You know, you're, you're right. It, I wasn't happy. I felt like it was in a rut. Why, why, don't, like a, why don't you think you were happy with all that? Because that does sound like a, a great lifestyle for you. What do you like, think? Anyone, was, someone listening would be like, oh, yeah. man, that's the dream right there, man. You know, that's what they, they're, they're thinking like, that's where I want to be. So, yeah. Why do you think that happened, man? Holding me back. I felt like, a, like is this it? Am I done now? Am I going to be working in this gym for the rest of my life and that's it? Yeah, you know, yeah. and I, I would find myself getting sort of bored at, at, yeah. at work and just like, oh man, I can't wait to go home. But then I'd be home and be like, fuck, man, I wish I was back at work. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, you know, that's not a good state to be in, you know. Yeah. And obviously, it's affecting the relationship and so forth. And uh, I really was never meant or cut out, you know, for that for that uh, whole family guy thing. Right. So I should have been doing what I'm doing now. Right, which right. is out, uh, basically just traveling the world. Mm-hmm. I always wanted to. 
and I always had the secret desire to to uh, you know just be able to and the you know the happy moments when I was younger were, were always when I was out traveling and so forth. Right. And uh, you know when I did that stint living in my camper van. <laughs> I mean, those are some of the happiest days of my oh. life, man. I was just like a, <laughs> like a kid back in college again, living in this uh, converted van. Well, I was, you know, what, Steve, I was really, I was really happy when you showed me your camper, and I realized that I don't live in it, and I could walk back in my house. You know, pulled up in my driveway. Steve came over to visit me in Vegas one time. He's like, he's like, yeah, man, you know, pulling up in my luxury camper and all that. Now, let me give you some background story. I was stuck in a camper with my parents every summer growing up in Montana, which was miserable. It wasn't fun at all. Like my brother, my brother and I always joke. We go, whenever something's going wrong, I'll always make a joke with them. I'm like, Hey Roger, just, just look on the bright side. You're not back in the camper with our parents in Montana. He's like, you know what, Mike, I feel better already. You know, Steve pulls up to my driveway with his, his quote unquote luxury camper. And, uh, He's like, you know, I'll just sleep in this tonight. I'm like, no, no, man, come on. We'll set up a room for you in the house. <laughs> I was like, I can't let you sleep in that thing in my, in my driveway. But I was like, I'm so glad I'm not him right now living in that. <laughs> well, you know what they say, one man's heaven is another man's hell. <laughs> well, you know, sometimes it's stages in life, too. You know what I mean? Because because maybe when you were my age, that wouldn't – maybe it would have been appealing to you. I don't know. But maybe it's just maybe at that's maybe there's just different stages in life you go through, like certain times in your life. You like being in a big house and having stability and all this. And then maybe in other times of your life, you're going, you know what? I don't want that anymore. That's boring. Let me start traveling. I think I think the key, though, is to be honest with those things. It's not. And, and that's very difficult to do. I think it's very difficult for people to be brutally honest with what's going to make them happy. And then have the courage to pursue that, whether it's personal life changes or professional life changes, because sometimes you can go a certain route, which is your passion. And it starts off as a great passion. You can't wait to do it. And then five, six, seven years into it, you realize, you know what? I just don't I'm just not that excited about this anymore. And now you have to go back to that place and dig deep and make another profound change. And that's not easy to do, because I think when people start something from scratch and then they have a certain level of success, that's a very difficult process. And they start thinking, man, I don't want to do that again. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to coast here. And now yeah, what was sure. your passion is no longer your passion anymore, but you don't have the courage to change again, to do what you did previously. And that, that's one of those things that I see all the time where someone was really passionate about whatever it was. And then it's obvious that they no longer care about it anymore. Like I've seen people in our industry where they were at one point, they were passionate. Now they could care less where if you talk to them privately, they're just complaining and complaining and complaining about stuff like all oh, these fucking customers calling up. You know, they're, they're not you know, <laughs> I like, they, I wish they stop calling. I like, take the number off your site. Take your website yeah. down. Why don't you? No, they're complaining about all they're just <laughs> complaining about silly things like, OK, you, so your complaint is you have too many customers. That's what you're telling me. <laughs> it's like most people have the opposite problem. OK, so that's you're, you're complaining about excess. And then publicly, they'll be like, oh, I love my work and all these great people calling me. But privately, it's a different story. And that's someone who followed their bliss at one point. Now they need to make another change, but they don't want to do it because they're stuck in that comfortable place. And it's, it's not easy to change no, it is anything. Not. Yeah. In my case, I think I had just risen to the height I was ever going to rise. I kind of right. hit this glass ceiling and that was it. Mm. And I was feeling that. And I didn't know how to make the next move. Right. And, you know, going through a very painful uh, divorce, yeah. uh, that was the impetus to get out of that rut and actually start doing something more exciting with my life. But it took that 
what seemed like a disaster at the time to kind of like basically, you know, like using TNT to blow me out of that, 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 (laughs) that cave I had dug for myself, you know? And, you know, I, I may have been content just to coast, like you said, Yeah. but you know, I guess, you know, God had uh, more important things for me, you know? That sure, sure seemed like it. So, you know, I was ticks, right? Like that. One of my favorite movies is Inception with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, where they're they're stuck in this deep dream state, and you need like a certain kick to get you out of that level. So, oh yeah, yeah right. right. Remember that? Like you was yeah, like, it's well, awesome. Dude. Like it's like we need the kick to get to this level, and then to get out of this. If we don't get the kick, you know, we're going to be stuck in this dream state indefinitely. And I think a lot of us in life are like that too. It's like we need a certain kick or a calamity or whatever you want to call it to change the trajectory because when, when things are comfortable, you're not going to change. That's just the reality of most people. Like when things are comfortable, you're, you're not going to be like, well, you know what? Things are going okay, but I don't like it. So I'm just going to change everything. And you know, the okay, phrase, okay is not enough of an impetus, yeah. right? It has to be, like I said, that fed up point or like in your case, Steve, I wasn't even you necessarily fed up. Maybe subconsciously you were, and, and that helped create the scenario that occurred. Oh, for it, sure. You yeah. know, it takes two to tango. <laughs> yeah. For sure, you know, like my discontent would, would certainly, you know, affect everyone around me. So, right, right. you know, you, you, we create all these scenarios ourselves. I don't believe in luck. I don't believe in chance. Yeah. I don't believe in accidents. I think right. everything happens. In the universe with mathematical precision. Yeah, lots, of fo- always- lots of focus. You know, I always tell people, you're miserable because you focus on being as miserable as you can ever be. You know, you you make yeah. all the, you choose all these things that make you miserable, and you're not necessarily choosing those things that will make you happy because you know, that misery has become so comfortable. And like Mike was just saying, you know, that change is so hard. What ends up happening, people fall for that phrase, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So, you know, they'll start thinking like, well, you know, she's getting on my damn nerves. But, you know, there's some people, they don't have anybody at all. Yeah. <laughs> it could be worse. But at least I, 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 at least I got some. I got someone that loves me, dude. If they're making you miserable and you're making them miserable, that's not love. <laughs> you just let that go, man. So yeah, it just comes that comfort, and then they're afraid to get back out there anyway. Like, well, yeah. you know, I've I've been with this person twenty years. You know, the world's changed now. Yeah, you know, I'm not trying to date <laughs> anybody. And I'm not trying to see anybody. You know, you got to get a background check on people these days. You never do that back in the day. <laughs> like, what about the person you were? They're they're certifiable too. You need to get a background check on her. She might have been crazy too, dude. Or maybe maybe you're certified. Yeah, tell me, maybe That's you're crazy. Too, you know? Maybe it's you. <laughs> maybe it's not even the other person. Exactly. Or, the... or just you two together is the problem. Exactly. You're like, guys, you're fine separately. Like, for example, whenever whenever someone gets divorced, what's someone's automatic response? Oh, sorry to hear that. When I was like, no. I, I heard be, it all the time. It like, should be sincere. like, congratulations, yeah, man. Exactly. <laughs> Only a couple of my friends say, hey, man, good for you. The rest of them like, I'm so sorry. I'm like, why? Did you sleep with her? <laughs> I'm like, why are you apologizing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably a guilty conscience. Like, man, maybe I'm the one who caused it, that affair. Yeah, exactly. I like, uh, maybe I shouldn't have, like, hooked them up. Maybe you should. Mind your business. <laughs> I, I do believe that life, it's almost like a dreamlike state. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I, I, I believe that, like, the whole reality is pretty much based on our, you know, your thinking, your thoughts. And I always try to concentrate more on what I want than what I don't want. Exactly. I try to spend all my time on what I want as opposed to what I don't want. But I've, I've often, uh, uh, a friend of mine told me one time, he says, hey, you know, you don't like the dream you're in? Just just dream a different dream. Right. It sounds kind of trite, and it isn't easy, but a person can dream a different dream and bring about a different reality. And if, if they're sad or they're unhappy or they're, you know, things aren't working out, 
in their current state, we all have that inner capability of change and it, it, it can be done through higher uh, thinking. Yeah. Through, just being conscious the, of it, you know? Just, yeah. Just yep. being, being honest, I think it's important. Being like conscious. I've heard, I mean, the example we've discussed before is, you know, when I, when I first got involved with the RKC, I mean, I was on cloud nine because I was such a big fan of Pavel. I was a big fan of you too, Steve, before I met you even. And I was like, wow, this is incredible. You know, a year ago I was working this crappy corporate job. I hated it. Now I'm, now I'm teaching courses with Pavel and Steve Maxwell and I'm meeting all these really interesting people that have similar, similar interests. And it was it was fun. It was fun meeting up in Minneapolis a couple times a year and all of us getting together and training and having a good time afterwards. And then, you know, around year four or so, I, it started becoming less fun and less fun. And then it got to the point where it was, it was kind of drudgery. And at that point, I realized, OK, I'm not I'm not angry or I'm not completely fed up, but I'm getting to that point. So let's leave now before this whole thing just reaches that critical mass. But but it wasn't easy. And but no. but, I, but I think it's it's it's. It's never easy to make change, even when you know it's for the better. It's just one of those things about about the human existence. Yeah, those early RKC days were really exciting. Uh, there was a, so much going on. Uh, you know, there was so much learning taking place. There was so much information exchange because there was some really talented people coming through there at that right. time. Some really knowledgeable people, and yeah, man, I really look forward to that myself. But you are right; it, it started becoming. Uh, yeah, I mean. It started becoming like the world I left, you know, corporate politics and interpersonal issues and so forth and it's organizational problems. And I was like, man, this is starting to remind me of the world I left. It's like here I am as an entrepreneur, yet I've got people telling, what I, telling me what I can or can't do with my business. And that just wasn't acceptable to me among, among a bunch of other things. So it's, but, but I, think, I think the point I'm trying to make to people is that just because something is awesome right now doesn't mean that it's always going to be. And that's okay. You know, just have the courage to change course when it's no longer exciting. You know, teaching a lot of kettlebell courses, for example, that's not something that is exciting to me anymore. For example, I was, I was at the park just a couple of days ago and a, a lady came up to me. She's like, oh, I was thinking about you today. I was, at, I was at the local gym, LVAC, which is a real trendy gym out here. And she's like, yeah, they've got all these kettlebells in there now and so forth. And I was like, you know what? That's why this stuff's not fun anymore. It's too mainstream now. You know, I mean, there's yeah. long, many reasons. It reminds me of these bands I used to listen to when I was in high school before they blew up. And then once they started playing them on the radio so much and everyone else was listening to it, I was like, eh, it's not really fun to be a fan of them anymore. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it kind of reminds me of that. It's like the, the early stages when you're playing a big role in the growth of something. That's exciting. And then when it, and I'm just speaking for myself here, and then when it gets to the point where it's, it's, it's too mainstream, it's too common, that's not really exciting to me anymore. And then just I, speaking again for myself, I just want to carve a different path or go in a different direction. So I think it's, I think it's important for people to realize that just because you're passionate about something now doesn't mean you always will be, and that's okay. Just be honest with, about what you want to get into next. Yeah. Well, nothing lasts forever, for sure. I yeah, mean, yeah. nothing in this universe. Everything eventually just degrades and, you know, goes away, including our own bodies. Yeah. You know, we're, we're all going to die. Right. You know, our body's going to turn to dust. And that's the way of the world and the universe, you know, yeah. and it's meant to be that way. And every single relationship, uh, every single material thing that you now own, it's all going to go away at some point. And being right. too attached and, 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 and so forth is is you're, you're just going to be uh, disappointed. For well, that's sure. why in Hinduism, they have a saying, Maya, right, which is everything is an illusion, including what we perceive as existence. So that, 
like like you just said, Steve, like right now, I'm feeling really strong. I mean, you know, I'm hitting PRs in the gym and all that stuff, but it's it's not going to last forever. So if I, if I'm so attached to what I'm doing now, you know, what's going to happen when that's not when I start losing that stuff? You know, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna have some serious depression. So you you kind of have to accept this fact that things are always in flux, right? Like life is like a river; it's always in motion. So you look at the river right now. It's not the same as it was two seconds ago, one second ago. It's always in that motion. So everything that's subject to change makes it just it just reinforces the fact that pretty much everything that we think is really an illusion. Well, you're certainly not, especially in, in the domain of uh, you know the, the physical body. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm to that point now. Like I said, my the the days for PORs are long gone. Yeah. But you you start to. Uh, seg into different goals. Now I look at the form and the technique of the exercise. I look at uh, recovery as a parameter. You know, I, I look at uh, you know control during the movement patterning. Do you do you, you know, miss though the death patterns and all that? I'm curious if you miss though the times where you were at your thinking about a previous time in your life where you were at your strongest. I mean, do you miss that? Do you miss that feeling? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean for sure. It, uh, those feelings were really really great. Yeah. But I realize, you know, missing them isn't going to change it. <laughs> right. <laughs> so there's no, sense, there's no sense being too attached to it. Yeah. You know, yeah. I just got to let all that go and just right. go on and just realize that, okay, yeah, um, hey, thank, uh, nature makes up for it in, in different ways, you know? Right. Yeah. Now, we're constantly dying and being reborn, you know, like uh, like reincarnation is happening as we live yeah pretty much so yeah where cells are dying they're being reborn you know this is being replaced you know, like who you are now the person you were 20 years ago that person's gone been you know, that person sure. that person may not even you, may, you might as well not even say that person exactly so stop talking anymore. about him so stop talking about him he's dead <laughs> exactly. and gone let him go like don't All talk about what he did that person's <laughs> memories. but you know me as a five-year-old kid that kid's gone man i have his memories some of them anyway you know, but, <laughs> right but uh who i was then it doesn't exist anymore so we're constantly in this state of being born and dying being reborn and dying well, memories are a funny thing too because they're pretty yeah. damn sele- selective, you know. Yes, yeah. it, it's like I, I was I was talking to my parents, and man, they remember things way different than I do. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and but you know, it's just as real for them as my memories are for me. So right. you know, what are memories really? They're just some kind of chemical process going on in your brain, and it's even your memories aren't realistic. They're not. It's not reality. Right, it's, just, right. it's just another dream state. Yeah. Sure. No, that's absolutely correct. And, you know, for anyone who's in uh, the equivalent of Oz, like the prison system, you know, keep it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that'll give you a little bit of comfort in that. <laughs> it's, I, think, I think when people are going through really hard situations, though, it's, 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 hard, to, it's hard to manage all that stuff. You know, it's, very, it's, it's, it's complex. But uh, yeah, that, we could probably do a whole another episode on that. People are people listening to this episode are like, okay, first of all, uh, they started off talking about, uh, about training and exercises, and, <laughs> and, and, and now three of them are levitating. Bullshit, Mike talking about that. 
well, I've got a degree in religious studies, people, so deal with <laughs> it, man. <laughs> tell me, tell me, yeah, and I went to school for psychology, so hey, this is all coming together here. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, you know, even in the domain of physicalness, you know, all change has to occur from within. A person that's really fat is not going to lose an ounce of, of body fat until they make that change within their own minds, and yeah. you know, and. And and for sure, the best way to, to bring about the physical change, physical process for the better, is to start working with the with the mind, the visualization, you know, and and just be really clear about goals and start to see those goals. Uh, otherwise, not much is going to happen. You you know, you can you can go and thrash yourself in the gym every day, but if you're not focused mentally yeah. and, and spiritually, you're not going to be very successful. I think that's a very very interesting way of looking at it because a lot of times when when someone's overweight the deeper question is why, why? are you overweight and the simple answer is like oh you're eating a lot of junk food it's like okay but why are you doing that exactly you know, what are you overcompensating for why are you why are you self-medicating why you know, are you having this relationship food. with food you know why are you exactly. becoming life partners all of a sudden you know and things <laughs> like that you know it's like you know what triggered all these different things so yeah and and that's i think that's where a lot of trainers and coaches fall short they just think it's automatic like well there's just so much crap food out there and you know, and, you know, people they eat what they can afford. I'm like, hmm. <laughs> like, no. When you actually think about that, good food is actually more affordable than shitty food. When you really break it down and think about it, just yeah. because of supply and demand, you eat a lot more shitty food than you do healthy food because you're always hungry. So you can spend well, you a lot more about, money. Yeah, exactly. You think about what is that? What's actually nourishing you? If, if you're eating a <laughs> bunch of garbage food, you're not extracting any real nutrition from that. So that you have to eat may way more of it exactly. to try to get something out of it. While if you actually <laughs> ate real food, you can consume a lot less and get more bang for your buck. Which is so why Costco is a multi-billion-dollar business because people go in shopping like they're going to the like the apocalypse is going to happen tomorrow. Like a, a hoarder's <laughs> dream. <laughs> food hoarder's dream. I'm like, like fifty boxes of macaroni and cheese, but it's just you and your husband. What the hell? Yeah, ten-pound <laughs> container of peanut butter. So, okay, why do I need to buy a lifetime yeah. supply of peanut butter today? <laughs> But you laugh at but you laugh at all the prepper shows though. I'm like, well, okay, but look at you. Look what you're doing right now. What are you prepping for? It's like, yeah. gosh, come on. It's not like there's gonna be a famine tomorrow. Come on, man. Like feel like, well, the, I'm ready for the Mad Max world existence. Like, well, here's the problem. <laughs> if if a Mad Max world existence occurs, it's not worth living in it. All right. So <laughs> if if you're lucky, you'll go up with the explosion. <laughs> you know, because you don't want to be one of the survivors in that case. Man. <laughs> no, I don't think so either. I think there's some fates much worse than death for sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Like, some of these dystopian movies, like, yeah, like, like Book of Eli and all that, I'm like, ah, you know, Denzel, maybe you should have just checked out, man. I mean, first of all, you're already blind. Okay, things are already going bad right there. So you got to be in this apocalyptic world and you can't see. And you, and you don't see how fine, and you can't even see how fine Mila Kunis is. I mean, that right there is, that's punishment right there. <laughs> like, yeah, in movies, it's like, you know, I'll, I'll give these characters credit. They're trying to make do with this situation, but this, this is not a good situation. <laughs> this is pretty bleak, man. Like the movie Snowpiercer, that's probably the that's, that's probably the worst dystopian scenario I've seen in a movie in a long time, if ever. And uh, I'm like, the problem with this whole movie that makes it fall, I mean, it's, it's a good movie, but the underlying problem is that this is not an existence. Yeah, that, that that's a segue within us. We've had we've had several segues now. That's that's a segue within a segue. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you didn't give any spoilers because uh, it hasn't hit uh, uh, UK yet. I'm going to see it uh, this weekend. It's an awesome movie, man. It's 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 not a feel good movie at all. <laughs> it's very heavy, <laughs> very dark, but it's yeah. very good. And 
problem is I've seen too many movies like this recently where I need to see some, uh, I need to do like a Seinfeld marathon or something like that. <laughs> yeah, 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 I've seen exactly. one too many of these dark movies recently where it's like, you know what? I don't need that much. I, I already am prone to, to mild depression if I'm not careful. I don't need stuff like this pushing me over the edge. You know? well, go, go check out uh, the movie. It's called The 100-Year-Old Man That Jumped Out the Window. It's a really funny, <laughs> feel-good movie. It's really, really cool. Oh, that's great, man. Well, we, we've had you on for a long time now. I appreciate your time. Always, it's always fun talking to you. Where can uh, people find out more about you and also if, uh, events you have coming up? Well, go to maxwellsc.com. SC as in strength and conditioning, maxwellsc.com. I have an events page, all the things that uh, I'll be doing next. And, um, uh, of course, I'm on Twitter and Facebook, like my Facebook page. I'm on Instagram and uh, always posting videos and, and cool stuff uh, and so forth. And, Mike, I will be out uh, your way. I'll be visiting you soon in Las Vegas. Oh, I'm right. going back uh, to shoot a, a, another video. Oh, cool. Uh, with uh, I have a videographer out there, uh, Daniel awesome. Gutierrez, awesome. a really good friend of mine, really talented uh, videographer. And When, when so is this going to be, Steve? When are you heading this way? Um, at the end of August, I'm going okay. to be. Um, I'll, I'll see you out there. Oh, fantastic, man. Yeah, I look forward yeah. to it. And I'll be in uh, Austin, Texas uh, for a Rev Gear uh, mixed martial arts uh, uh, extravaganza. Rev Gear is the manufacturer oh, cool. of like some of the leading uh, all sorts of uh, martial arts equipment for both MMA and Jiu-Jitsu, workout stuff, uh, you know, kettlebells and all that. I'll be teaching uh, two uh, courses there at the, the the expo in Austin, Texas. So I'm looking forward to that too. Well, that's awesome. And also, awesome. folks, keep in mind, Steve has a bunch of videos that you can download. You can pay to download some great workout programs, joint mobility material, different exercise regimens, a lot of videos on his website, books, et cetera. So definitely support our guests by checking out their courses, their information products, and so forth. Because if you, if you like what Steve has to say on the show, you're going to love this material. All right. Thanks. All right. Thanks, man. I oh, appreciate it, man. Thanks again, man. You enjoy your sure. traveling. I look forward to seeing you in August. Take care, brother. For sure. And sincere, thanks a lot. Great Thank talking to you again. And um, I hope time. to see you again soon. All right. Thanks man. again, Steve. Appreciate it, man. Take care. Good night. You take care. Have a good one. And that, again, is our, our friend Steve Maxwell. Definitely check out stevemaxwellsc.com. Check out his – subscribe to his channel on YouTube. Check him out on Twitter, Facebook, and uh, invest in some of his products. You know, joint mobility is a really important thing to engage in. He has some exceptional material on that. And like I said, even if you like what our guests have to say on the show, whether it's Steve Maxwell or Clarence Bass, and we, we, we got a lot of downloads for Clarence Bass, and I'm glad to see that because he's a great guy, great guest – Support his books. Just be aware that if you buy a book from Clarence Bass, you may you may get some uncomfortable nude photos of him on the cover <laughs> of the book. You know, so just what what I did is I just tore that cover off, and that way I could that way I could carry the book around in public you know? <laughs> without without being too self conscious. I'm telling you, I told you, man, that book made my wife feel so creepy. She goes, "Oh my god, can you just turn that book over and not leave it on the kitchen counter?" I was like, "Why? Why? You feel like you heard your friends gonna come over and think that you're down, like you're buying like old man porn or something like that?" It's like, what's the matter, Paulette? You like that cover? Exactly. <laughs> you're afraid to admit something here. Uh, let's get a door size version of that book cover for Christmas. I know. Oh, do a cardboard stand up and put it right in the bedroom. She walks in when she comes back from Costa Rica. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got a surprise from you for my buddy Clarence. <laughs> 
then we'll be doing episodes like, yeah, you know, we decided to get divorced recently. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, what provoked that whole scenario? Well, you know, it was this poster on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> All right, folks. So, no, you can also, in addition to supporting our guests, you should support us. And yeah. you can do that by using coupon code LLA. You can go get the best testosterone booster out there so that you can have a better mood, better workouts, and give you a little extra impetus to make those positive changes in your life. Get on my Restorezyme to get rid of that joint pain, improve your workout recovery, and just lower inflammation, improve your health. And then my recovery oil, which is great for getting magnesium, zinc, MSM into your system to help you relax at night and, again, further recovery from training. And then all my books, my DVDs, my T-shirts, the whole shebang, that coupon code will get you 10% off. Everything worldwide, I ship everywhere. And how about with you, man? Same thing. Use the same coupon code over at newwarriortraining.com, coupon code LLA. That'll get you 10% off of my bodyweight training DVD. You can get the physical copy or you can get the digital copy. Get that instant download, which a lot of people tend to like that a lot better. So, therefore, you can take that with you anywhere you go. Just take it on your phone and take it to the gym with you right there and do some of those exercises that we were talking about with Steve as far as crawling and, and things like that because there are some exercises that feature those type of movements on that DVD. Also, you get 10% off of my Weight Management 101 course so you can find out how you can really take charge of it with your health, with your diet, with your training and put it all together where it makes sense. It's not a bunch of scientific jargon. And of course, sometimes you may feel like, oh, well, I got plenty of information. I got all the answers here. I can just Google it. But a lot of that stuff, man, is just all over the place and also has this agenda. You know, what it's trying to get you to buy into this stuff. Yeah, I want you to buy my course, but I'm not trying to get you to buy a bunch of extra crap either. So with that, you'll also get various parts of media that can help you learn this stuff and be better informed by having it in PDF form, audio, video. You have all these things that come with the program. It's for 12 weeks, and then you'll be ready to get off to a better start, and you start feeling a lot better. And another way you can start feeling a lot better is having better coffee in your life first thing in the morning or in the afternoon as well, and after a good meal to help with digestion. And how do you do that? Hey, man, pour-over method is one of the best methods out there. I love it, whether it's the Chemex, whether it's the Melita, but one of my favorites is what I discovered in Costa Rica is using the Chorilla Door drip coffee stand. And it's just, it wasn't available here in the U.S., so I had to make it available. And now it's available on NewWarriorTraining.com. And you can get that 10% off with coupon code LLA, as well as free shipping on that bad boy as well. So, all right, so hop over there, hop over to both our websites, and make it happen. You got the code now. Get to going. <laughs> you got the code. You got the info. You know what you need. What else do you need to know? <laughs> what do you need, man? What are you waiting for? <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. Thanks again. We'll see you next time. Take care.